Good morning. You may rise again <laughs> in honor of our Lord's word out of his holy Bible and scripture. We are reading from Exodus chapter 2, verses 11 through 25. If you're using the blue pew Bibles in front of you, in, on the side of you, or in back of you, it is on page 45. Again, Exodus chapter 2, verses 11 through 25. One day, when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? He answered, who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, surely the thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. The shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and saved them and watered their flock. When they came home to their father rule, he said, How is it that you have come home so soon today? They said, An Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and even drew water for us and watered the flock. He said to his daughters, then where is he? Why have you left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. And Moses was content to dwell with the man, and he gave Moses his daughter, Zipporah. She gave birth to a son, and he called his name Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Let's pray once more. Father, we thank you for your inspired and inerrant word, and now we seek for your spirit to impress upon us its truth, that we might be shaped by your truth, that we might be sent out from here under the banner of your truth. So speak, O Lord, we are listening. In your son's name we pray, amen. Well, last week we began a new sermon series through the book of Exodus, and it started with a reminder of how God's people ended up in Egypt in the first place and how they came to be enslaved. And then we looked at the events surrounding the birth of Moses, who would one day grow up and be used by God to deliver the Israelites from their bondage. But in today's passage, well, in today's passage, he still has a long ways to go. He's not ready. He's got the heart. He's definitely got the zeal. 
But Moses' actions just go to prove that when you're trying to help people in need, good intentions are not enough. Until you're ready, until you're ready to be the deliverer that God intends for you to be, your well-intentioned efforts to help might actually do more harm than good. And I really think, friends, that this, this is a relevant lesson for us to learn today. Because I, I, know, I know many of you, many of you have a heart to help, especially helping people in need. I, I see you doing it all the time. I see you caring for your fellow church members, those who are physically ill, those who are financially burdened, those who are emotionally hurt or spiritually depressed. I see you guys carrying each other's burdens. And beyond our own members, I see many of you with a heart for the hurting in our city. I've been just so encouraged over the, over the years at all, all the various compassion projects that our members have initiated on their own, you know, rallying people together under a common goal to serve the poor and needy or, or the, the weak and marginalized. You know, over the years, you've helped low-income families, the victims of sex trafficking, the homeless population, the wary refugees, the neglected elderly, and the invisible unborn. And I'm just so encouraged every time I see that. And I just think about the fact that a year ago, on this very day, while our city was under a deluge, you know, just floodwaters pouring over us, and for the first week, many of the students here, you fresh, you know, you're sophomores now, your fresh freshman year, your experience of our church was banding together to serve those who were affected by the flood. And so, you know, it's still fresh on our memories. And I'm just so encouraged, and I praise God for the ways that our people are helping those in need. Now, for those of you new to our church, I know I'm biased, but I think you found an amazing group of people to be around. These are people whose hearts break when they see others being mistreated, who are uncomfortable when societal evils and injustices are ignored and unaddressed. I think there is a growing social awareness among us as Christians as we're taking steps of faith to go out of our circles, out of our bubbles, in order to help those who are really burdened and crying out for help. Now, you know, I, I say all that, and I realize that that might not describe all of us. I mean, there, there might, you know, for some of us, it's going to be good to be challenged to get out of our comfort zones, to take greater steps of faith out of our bubbles, to draw closer to those who are suffering. And so that's an immediate application for many of us, and we're going to come back to that later in the message. But I, I really want to speak in particular to those of you who feel, you know, you're so woke and you're chomping at the bit to, you know, want to go out there and, and make a difference. And I say, let this morning's passage serve as a reminder that your good intentions, they're just not enough. Moses' first attempt to be the deliverer that he thought God wanted him to be, how did it end? In disaster, in exile. He tried to help the hurting. He tried to face down societal evils and injustices, but he learned the inevitable outcome of the mess that you make when you take matters into your own hands. As a church, if we want to avoid doing more harm than good, then our well-intentioned efforts at helping the hurting have to remain rooted in and centered on the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
That's really the lesson to be learned in our passage, that if we want to help others, we have to help motivated by, rooted in the gospel. And it might surprise you since, you know, we're studying Exodus in the Old Testament, yet we're talking about the gospel. But as we stressed last week when we started this series, Exodus is more than a story about God's faithfulness to a people in the past. It's an illustration, actually, of the spiritual condition of people today who are trapped in bondage. And it really pictures our great need of deliverance, which can only be accomplished by God's own hands. And so this is how I'm going to break down the passage for us. This is really the main point of our message. Those who want to help others in need need to learn three things. If you want to see those three things, just look in your bulletin's outline. If you want to help those in need, you need to learn three things. First, to help by not taking matters into your own hands. Second, you need to learn to help by identifying with others in their suffering. And third, to help by trusting in God in his hands to ultimately deliver. So one of the first lessons that Moses learns is that if he really wants to help his people, then he can't take matters into his own hands. That's essentially what he's trying to do in verses 11 to 14. So between verses 10, uh, verse 10, which talks about his birth, into verse 11, there is a huge time gap. Uh, we learn how long it is in Stephen's speech later on in the New Testament in the book of Acts. Uh, Stephen there gives a speech, and he tells us that Moses was 40 years old when the events in our passage take place. And so that means for 40 comfortable and privileged years, Moses grew up shielded from suffering, shielded from the slavery experienced by his people. He was an Israelite, but he had the good fortune of growing up as a prince of Egypt. But beginning here in verse 11, Moses steps out of his circle. He steps out of that bubble, out of that comfort zone. And it says here that he went out to his people. Literally there, that word for people is his brothers. And he looked on their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people, his brothers. Now, what's really interesting is that that verb for the word he went out is the same verb that is going to show up later throughout the book of Exodus, describing the very Exodus. And so that means Moses' going out from the Egyptians serves as a foreshadow of Israel's future going out. And once he goes out, he goes out from what's comfortable and familiar, he sees his people's burdens and it moves him emotionally. Now, now first notice how he is aware of his true identity as an Israelite. We, we saw last week that he still had the opportunity of being raised by his own birth mother, so she probably had a, a, a chance to tell him about his background. And I'm not surprised if his adopted mother, a princess of Egypt, if she would have told him many times the story about how she so happened to find him, you know, in the reeds among the Nile, and she adopted him. And so by age 30, though he probably has had little interaction with the Hebrews, he does recognize them to be his brothers. And when he finally sees their suffering, he is moved. That, that verb that describes him looking 
on the burdens of his people, that word for looking carries a connotation that suggests more than just simply looking at something, seeing something, but, but seeing it with an emotional attachment, with an emotional involvement. A clear example of this nuance in this verb can be found in Genesis chapter 21, verse 16, where Hagar is described as being unable to look at her son who is suffering, who is dying of thirst. She can't even look at him. And of course, it doesn't mean that she physically can't see him or physically can't look at him. It's just that it emotionally hurts too much to look at him. And so similarly, this is what's happening. Moses finally sees his brothers being unjustly beaten and burdened by the very people that he grew up with in privilege, and something awoke in his soul. The beating he witnessed was more than just eye-opening. For Moses, it was conscious-raising. He became burdened for his brethren. Do you know this burden? Have you felt it before? And again, I really do want to challenge those of us, and, and you know, I'm including myself here, who have grown up in privilege just like Moses. You know, for, for the most part, we have been sheltered, sheltered from the suffering of our brethren. And by brethren, I really mean any human being created in the image of God. We are all brethren. And and nothing is going to change this situation without some intentionality here. You're going to have to do like Moses and go out. Go out of your circle. Go out of your comfort and look at the suffering around us with our own eyes. To look at the suffering in our city and pray for God to, to burden your conscience with the burdens of your brethren. Now, you know, here as a church, we're going to try to help you to do that, to be intentional to do that. We're developing new outreach and community service teams uh, that are going to be starting up uh, in 2019, and it's going to be led by, by brand new English deacons, English-specific deacons we've never had before, are going to be helping lead that under the, under the leadership also of Minister Henry, who we hired for this very purpose of really helping us give greater direction to our outreach and to be able to provide more opportunities for you to go out and look upon the suffering in our city for yourself. And so I'm excited about the the initiatives and and the teams being formed. And if you're interested in getting involved with that, please do talk to to me or or to Minister Henry. But let's just keep looking here at, at Moses and how he responded to the suffering and injustices that he witnessed. It's clear from verse 11 that Moses does care a lot about justice, right? And, and he just can't stand to see people mistreated. And then if you read on in verse 13, he definitely has the heart of a peacemaker, like tr- trying to reconcile people who are at each other's throats. And so no one can question his heart his big heart for other people. But the problem was that he took matters into his own hands and he tried to deliver his people his own way by the means that he deemed best. Look at verse 12. Verse 12, you know, it's not clear here if Moses 
actually intended to kill the Egyptian, but it is clear he intended to do some violence because it does say that he looked around first to make sure no one was there before striking. And so once he ended up actually killing the man, then he tried to cover it up by literally covering up the body with sand. Now, you know, we're not given a peek into Moses' mind here, into his thought process, into his motivations here in chapter 2. But fortunately, we are given a peek in the book of Acts. So we believe that Scripture is the best interpreter of Scripture. And so we can turn to Acts chapter 7, verse 23, to help us understand Exodus 2. And in his speech in Acts 7, Stephen explains, starting in verse 23, when Moses was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them being wronged, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. Now listen here. He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand. But they didn't understand. So Moses believed himself to be God's instrument of salvation for his people and that by his hand he would deliver them from Egypt. And he, he wasn't completely wrong here. I mean, he will be an instrument of salvation, but an instrument wielded in God's hands. Deliverance won't come by his hands, but God's, as God sovereignly uses Moses to accomplish his good purposes. That, my friends, is what, is what Moses was mistaken in. He took matters into his own hands instead of trusting God's. And the result was rejection and exile. If we keep reading on in verse 13, Moses goes out the next day. He sees two Israelites fighting. He confronts the offender asking, why do you strike your companion? And that word for strike is actually the same word for beat that you saw earlier in verse 11 when the Egyptian was beating the Israelite. And so that really is an indictment against Israel. It's suggesting that their bondage not just to Egypt, but their bondage to sin runs so deep and has corrupted them so much that they are treating each other no better than how they were being treated by the Egyptians. That's what it's saying there. Now, when Moses tries to point out that fact, they reject him. They question his leadership. Look at verse 14. The offender says, Who made you? to be a prince and a judge over us. Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Now right there, that that rejection is another example of foreshadowing that you're going to find throughout this book. Throughout Exodus, as we keep reading on, the Israelites continue to question Moses. They continue to reject his, his leadership, the validity of it, which once again proves that their bondage goes so much deeper than just the physical chains around their wrists or ankles. Even after they get liberated from slavery to Egyptian authorities, throughout the book, the people continue to question and reject even the good authority of God and his servants. And so that just goes to show that true deliverance is far more difficult than we imagine, and it is something none of us can accomplish. We can't even touch with our own 
hands. And so church, what this means, what we can draw out from just this, this, this idea here is that our efforts to help the hurting, whether we're dealing with people we know or, or we're dealing with people we don't even know in this city, our efforts must be carried out with the understanding that their suffering and their pain and their bondage goes much deeper than just the issues that you're addressing on the surface. So that means the pain that your friend is going through because of a breakup requires more than kind words of comfort. They need to recognize that there are deeper heart issues of contentment going on. Or or the parents who are disappointed over the choices being made by their adolescent children, they need to see that the deeper issue is not their children's obedience, but their own fears of losing control. Control over their kids and the direction of their lives and the choices that they are making. And so those, my friends, are heart issues that you no matter how hard you try with the best of intentions, you can't touch. You can't solve it. You can't touch it with your hands. And just think about the hungry man on the street. You can go and fill his belly, but you know there remains a deeper hunger in him that nothing coming from your hands is ever going to satisfy. And and you can assist in the rescue and recovery of a sex trafficking victim, but just like the Israelites, she still remains subject to a deeper bondage that you cannot break by your own hands. And so when you take matters into your hands, assuming that you, by your efforts, can be their deliverer, You fail to deal with the true source of their suffering and pain and bondage, and they continue to remain in a condition where they may question you, they may reject you, but of course, even worse, they'll continue to question and reject God. And so, I know it sounds contradictory, but you truly can't help others in need until you recognize the depths of their need and the limitations of your hands. You cannot be their savior. You cannot be their deliverer. That is the lesson that Moses had to first learn before he could ever be of any real help to his people. So this leads to the second lesson that we can learn from our passage. As we follow Moses now on into exile, we learn to help others by identifying with their suffering. Let's continue with the story. Uh, Look in verse 15. So once it's discovered that Moses has sided with the Israelites, he is rejected by the Egyptian aristocracy, and Pharaoh issues his death warrant. So he flees into exile into the land of Midian. And again, we learn from Acts 7 that his exile in Midian lasted for 40 years, which is really no coincidence when you consider how Israel would eventually spend 40 years wandering the wilderness because of their disobedience. And so what that suggests for us is that Moses' exile can be properly interpreted as the consequence of his disobedience for taking matters and taking a whole life into his own hands. Now, as the story goes, he's resting by a well, and um, he encounters the seven daughters of the priest of Midian, and they come to draw water for their father's flock. But certain shepherds come around, and they harass these daughters. Moses steps up. 
he rescues them. And that, of course, alludes to his future role, both as, as a shepherd of Israel and as her future rescuer. But as we've already pointed out, he is not ready for that very big task. But what this little vignette demonstrates for us is that he truly does care about justice. And he is willing to stand up for the weak. But there's a very important lesson that he has to learn first. And it's a lesson that he can only learn by experience. Friends, Moses Moses must learn to identify with his people. And not just by, by their common ancestry, but to identify with their suffering. If you truly want to be of any help to others, then what it calls for is for you to share in their suffering. And as we read on, we see that Moses is slowly more and more identifying with God's people and their suffering. Initially here, he's still seen as an Egyptian. And did you notice that? How the daughters, they describe him uh, to their father as an Egyptian in verse 19. Probably it's because he still wore the clothes and he had the hairstyle, maybe even like the makeup of an Egyptian. But as he settles on into the land of Midian and he, he takes for himself a Midianite wife and starts his own family, and according to chapter 3, verse 1, he takes up the profession of a shepherd, tending his father-in-law's sheep. As you may know, shepherding was the chief profession of the Israelites during their sojourn in Egypt. In Genesis 46, verse 34, it tells us that shepherding was an abomination to the Egyptians. To the Egyptians, being a shepherd was a shameful profession, and so that's why they left it to the Israelites to take care of. And so think about it. Now Moses no longer sees himself as a privileged prince of Egypt. Here he is. He's taken on the shame. He is taking on and adopting the identity of a shepherd. And then if you look in verse 22, he accepts the identity of a sojourner, an alien in a foreign land. Let, let me read verse 22. She, this is talking about Moses' wife Zipporah, gave birth to a son, and he called his name Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. The name Gershom means an alien there. That's how Moses saw himself in Midian. He's an alien there, and that's how he names his own son. And really, the, the point here, the point here is that Moses needs to first experience alienation in order to truly identify with God's alienated people. He needs to suffer as a stranger in a strange land before he can truly understand and help God's people in their own suffering. And so what that means is that if you really want to help someone, then first learn to identify with them and in their suffering. And that, of course, friends, means you can't help people from a comfortable distance. You need to draw close. You need to get your hands dirty. That means as a church, if we want to be a community that truly helps one another in need, then we need to open up our lives to each other. If you need help, 
If there are things going on in your life that you need help with, you need to let other people know. You need to welcome them into your mess. Forget about the shame that you feel. Recognize that we all have mess in our lives. And if we need help, we need to tell each other. We need to ask for help from one another. And if you want, you want to be help, you want to be a help to others, then you need to be willing to get your hands dirty into the muck and mire of their lives. You can't save them by your hands, but if you're willing to get your hands dirty by loving them deeply, by identifying with them in their pain and suffering, then you are becoming that very instrument that God loves to use to deliver his people by his own hands. Now, before we dive into that particular point, let me just give one word of encouragement for those of you who feel like, who feel like you've made just too many mistakes in your walk with God, that, that, that you've just had too many failures in your life to really be of any help to other people, of any good use in the hands of God. I, I think some of you carry around a heavy cloud of guilt for past mistakes, and you don't think God could ever or would ever use you again for his good purposes. And if that's how you feel, well, friend, I, I want to point to Moses as exhibit A to prove that God has no qualms with using failures and flunkies for his good purposes. Because by, by verse 22, Moses has accepted his exile. And I'm sure he probably thinks he's as good as done in God's plans. That he had his shot, he wasted it, he failed. You see, he's just trying to move on. He's just trying to forget about all the hopes and all the aspirations that he once had. But the fact that God is not through with him yet ought to encourage every single one of us. Because it demonstrates that no amount of failure or mistakes will push you so far beyond God's grace and willingness to still use you according to his good plans. So you're right when you say you're not qualified. And Moses is going to use that exact same excuse later on when God calls him to go back to Egypt. He's going to say, I'm not qualified. I've made too many mistakes. But as the saying goes, God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. Sure, you're not worthy. Of course, you're not worthy. But if you die to yourself, if you find new life in Christ, then you are counted worthy in Christ. By faith, you receive his righteousness, his qualifications, his worthiness. If God calls you to Christ, then he qualifies you in Christ to be able to serve him and his purposes, doing good in the lives of other people. So take comfort. And take encouragement in that gospel promise. Well, that's going to lead to our third and final lesson to be learned. It's about learning to help others by not taking matters into your own hands, but by trusting God in his hands to ultimately deliver. And that really is the message that comes across for us in verses 23 to 25. It kind of functions like a postscript to this chapter of Moses' life. It, it's, it's all in preparation for a new calling that's going to come to him in chapter 3. 
So let's just read the postscript together. Uh, Start with me in verse 23. During those days, those many days, the king of Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God and God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. So during those 40 years, the Pharaoh dies, but his, his wicked policy of oppression against God's people continues, and it says that they groan and they cry out to God for help, and their cry for rescue from slavery comes up to God. And notice, God does four things. Notice how starting in verse 24, it says, God heard, God remembered, God saw, and God knew. Just how amazing is that, right? The God that we worship is not a God of wood or stone that just sits there motionless. Neither is he just a figment of our imagination. No, the God of the Bible is a personal God who hears the cries of his people, who remembers his promises to us, who sees us in our suffering, and who knows us personally and intimately. In other words, he identifies with us. When it says that he saw the people of Israel, he saw them with the same emotional involvement as Moses seeing his suffering people, or like Hagar seeing her dying child. It moved him. And when it says God knew, he knew them, and he knew their suffering with that same emotional attachment. There's this, this, this wonderful verse in the book of Isaiah where it describes God identifying with the suffering of his people. This is Isaiah 63, 9. It says, in all their affliction, he was afflicted. In all their affliction, God was afflicted. Every beating they had, he took it. Every insult they received, he felt it. Every injustice they suffered, he bore it. In all their affliction, God was afflicted. And in so doing, in identifying with his people, God proved to be Israel's true deliverer, That's the most important lesson Moses had to learn. He had to recognize that salvation would never come from his hands, only God's. And so the next time, the next time that we see him going back to Egypt, we have no doubt the second time around that it is God and it is God alone who is delivering his people. It's by his hands alone, and so to him alone be all the glory. Friends, this is the most important lesson for you to learn as well. If you want to truly help the hurting, then you have to help them see that you are not their savior, that you simply cannot be their deliverer. No man, no woman can do that. That's God's job. He's going to have to roll up his sleeves. He's going to have to take matters into his own hands. And I think really that is, 
That's a lesson that some of you really need to hear this morning. I know some of you have been trying so hard to help a friend, or maybe you're trying to help a family member who is currently stuck in some unhealthy patterns of behavior, and it's just exhausting you. Maybe it's an addiction that they're dealing with, or Maybe just some bad habit that they can't seem to shake. But whatever it is, you're trying so hard to help them, but you're not seeing any change. You're not even sure if they want to change. And so you feel like Moses. You can see the problem. You can see that they're in bondage. You want to liberate them, but nothing seems to help. And they, they have my, they might, maybe they're at a point where they're even questioning you and rejecting you and rebuffing you your efforts. And that's why you need to learn the same lesson as Moses. You need to stop taking matters into your own hands and you need to start trusting God to put it all in His strong hands. Put your burden for your friends. Put your hope for their change, for their recovery. Put all of your well-intentioned efforts, put it all in God's strong hands. That's really the bigger story that Moses' story is trying to tell. That's how we've been reading and understanding Exodus, that it's, it's more than a story of God's deliverance in the past for one particular nation. It's rather an illustration and really a template for how he brings about an ultimate deliverance for all the nations of the earth and how he does it by his own hands. As the story goes, there was another prince who also left the comforts of his palace and the privileges of his station, not counting it a thing to be grasped in order to identify with his people and their suffering. And he also embraced the role of a shepherd, and he obeyed the call to bring out God's people into a new land of pasture, but he was also rejected by those very same people. And he took matters into his own hands, but unlike Moses, he had every right to because he was God in the flesh. And unlike Moses, he didn't try to deliver his people by taking a life, but by laying down his own. The ultimate deliverance of God's people from our sin, from our suffering, will be accomplished by the death of God's Messiah, the Son of God, who died for our sins, who rose again to give us new life. And there's a reason why they call it a Messiah complex. I mean, you might say that Moses here in chapter 2 has a Messiah complex. He's trying to be everyone's Savior. Let's just be honest. I think all of us deal with a Messiah complex, even if, even if we're not exhausting ourselves trying to save other people and to be their deliverers, we often find ourselves trying to save ourselves, trying to deliver ourselves from the sufferings and the burdens of life that threaten to crush us every day. Biblical wisdom teaches us that it's the fool who refuses to learn from his own failures and from the failures of others when he reads about it in a book. So don't be the fool and refuse to learn from Moses and from his first attempt at delivering God's people. You can't save yourself, and you can't save the hurting people in your life. But 
You can tell them who can. You can point them to the true deliverer. You can tell them about Jesus and about the help that he freely offers each and every one of us. A help that is to be received by grace through faith. That's what you can do. Be an instrument in the hands of God to bring about good and help for others. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for this word and the way that it challenges each of us, challenges us to know our limitations, to know our own weaknesses, and to know our great need for you and for you to act sovereignly that good might come forth from our faithfulness that you might minister to and truly help people in need, the people you have placed in our lives. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we pray, it all, pray all this all in Jesus' name. Amen.